All right, everybody. So welcome to Live from My Drum Room. And it's a pleasure to welcome my guest today, a very dear friend going back all the way to the 1980s. Please welcome the great Roger Guth. Thank you, all the, John. All the way back to the 1980s. All right. Yeah. Okay. Here you are. I see you. Do you see me? I see you. You can't hide from me. <laughs> I want I want everybody watching at home to know that you did everything you possibly could to not do this today. And I, I appreciate you being here. It's getting kind of funky. I hope we can get through this. I hope so too. I hope so too, buddy. If if we can't, we'll we'll do it another time when you pay your Comcast bill. I would have thought that all those years with Jimmy Buffett, you could afford internet service. Yeah, right. I know. Well, you got to cut back somewhere, man. I mean, you own half of Nashville, and uh, <laughs> I I don't yet, but my son probably will. <laughs> Uh, welcome Roger. Yeah. I, I was just saying that, that, um, I liked, I liked the way you tried to sort of dodge doing this today when you said, I don't do interviews and I don't, but, but thank you for doing this. <laughs> only if it's a pretty woman, that's the only time you do the interview. Well, I'm, I'm close. I'm close. So you are, you're very good looking. You could have Kelly come down. Now we're talking about a good-looking woman, exactly, a pretty woman. Yeah, I always thought she was very cute. Yeah, me too. What, well, what did Colin used to say? Colin used to say, "John married well." <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I did okay. I With did that okay. English accent of his. Yeah, yeah. I saw Colin. You know, he called me. I guess that's probably. He's, he was down and he lives in Savannah or something. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's great that he called you. I saw him. He So I'll tell you quickly, I was at the Zildjian 400th anniversary. Uh, big, big, big concert event they held in, in Boston back in September. And uh, Craigie Zildjian, the owner, my former boss, invited me and Kelly. And uh, she invited Colin, who came up from Savannah. And uh, we sat together, and Rick Murata was there with us. And um, so, yeah, we, we had a great time, and Colin and I were able to catch up a little bit. And we, we stay in touch, too. So that's great. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's great. Um, so we got some folks watching. We got, no doubt, some, uh, some parrot heads in the crowd, I'm sure. It's great to see you, Roger. And in and, and all seriousness, I'm, I'm sorry about Jimmy. Um, I reached out when he passed away and I, and I, you know, I'm sure like a lot of people, I, I thought of you instantly and, and, um, I just, your long association with him and I'd love for you to share some memories if, if you would like to about working with Jimmy all those years. Well, if you have any questions or anybody does, it's, you know, I've, I, it's still kind of weird for me. I don't, it, it's just. Like you wake up someday and go, wow, Jimmy's not here. Like it just doesn't, I'm like, and I know that's, you know, life, but it's also like, I never thought of it that way. I would be like, yeah, you know, I always thought he would, you know, live longer than, uh, you know, for, I don't know. He always seemed very vibrant. Yeah. But then in I, the past year, 
the past year, you could tell like, man, something's not right here. You know? Yeah. I, I was just going to say from, from all the times I would go see you and, and, and see the band, he, you know, in his, he seemed in his, when he, at that time he was in his fifties and just still very vibrant and, and, uh, energetic and, um, yeah, seemed like someone that, that would go on for a long, long time, but yeah, we can, and we can come back to that. I'm sure people will ask questions and I think people would be interested to know how you started playing with them. I know you joined the band in 89. Right. Um, the, the short story is we, me and Pete and Jim Mayer um, had a record deal with Warner Brothers as a group called PM. And Elliot Shiner, who's like the famous engineer guy, he loved us. He was producing our record. He was going to produce Jimmy's next record. And he wanted us to play on it. So, and we were like, you know, sure, we'll, you know, we'll play in the studio. We're studio guys anyway, right? Or, you know, we did some of that or whatever. Anyway, so we we went up to New York at the Hit Factory, played with, and I actually wrote, Elliot liked my writing, so I wrote some tunes with Jay Oliver, actually, and we all, we were the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, long story short, Jimmy's like, wow, oh, I really, you know, I like these guys. So he kind of got rid of his other rhythm section and hired us. And it was just, I was just kind of like, well, we'll do this for the summer, you know, and see what happens, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Then 34 years later, like, okay, well. You know, and that's when we met was 1989. I just started at Zildjian. And uh, our mutual friend, Dave Weckl, recommended you. Right, right. And and I remember I drove up to pick you up at the Four Seasons in Boston, where you would stay every year. And uh, right, I love that. Yeah, who doesn't love the Four Seasons? And uh, you know, and I'll admit, <laughs> Roger. You know, I I knew I'd been hearing. I, I remember you and I talking that first time, and you were saying, not in any sort of uh, by any means any sort of boastful way. You were seemed to be almost surprised. You were like, "Yeah, man, we you know." this tour like is really doing crazy business. Like, you know, like we, we, I think you were kind of surprised at how well Jimmy did as a, as a touring act. And I, I remember like you guys in the Rolling Stones that summer were like the highest grossing concerts or tours of the year or amongst yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, Jimmy was, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't a, a follower of that kind of stuff. So I just didn't know. And then when the first time you play with him and there's 16,000 people there, it's like, holy shit, this is the, the big time. <laughs> this is as big as it gets, you know? Yeah. Like it yeah. doesn't get any better. You're flying around in private jets and playing to sold out amphitheaters. So, you know, I mean, I don't know where you go from there except stadium shows and we've done plenty of those. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I know. I know. And, and, you know, staying at nice hotels and it, it was, it, it, I'll just say from my point of view, all the drummers that I was working with at that time that I was meeting and, and, uh, I'd go pick up at a hotel to bring to the Zildjian factory. Um, it was typically the holiday Inn in Mansfield, you know, near great woods, which is where, you know, that was like the regular spot where the bands would stay. 
but it was, you know, it, a handful of you guys would stay in Boston at the Four Seasons. So right. like you, Ringo, Charlie Watts, that's about it. <laughs> at the Four yeah. Seasons. Yeah. Anyway, I, met, I, I played with Ringo once. Ringo seems like a really nice guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. He's he's a he's Ringo. You know, he's a character. He's yeah. We played behind him somewhere where when he had that band when he was kind of doing the he would sing. I think Keltner was the actual drummer, but but one we did a gig where we were the rhythms. Jimmy's band was the rhythm section, and he it was him and James Taylor or something. It was really fun. He was very complimentary, and he was he was totally sweet. Like although. I've met, we have played with, I now met with Paul too. And they're really nice. Like you just don't, you know. You, yeah. Paul's really funny. He's like, you kind of shake his hand. He's like, yeah, I know I'm Paul. We'll get over that, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not usually into that star thing. I don't really care. But then when you're meeting those guys, you're like, wow, this okay. This is, you know, it's kind of like you can't help but be impressed, you know, or something. At, and they're such nice guys. You know, it's like, really, it's just unassuming, you know? Yeah, yeah. I've I've never met Paul, but I, I would be exactly, I'd be, I'd be actually way worse than that, Roger. I would be just completely gaga. <laughs> I would. I would. I mean, and, and I want to talk about that too. The, uh, my gummies, my gummies just kicked in video and, and, um, and Paul playing on that song. And I, we'll get to that in a second, yeah. but. Um, but to jump back a second, so, so you're living in St. Louis at the time and you and Pete and Pete's brother, Jim and Jay too. Jay, was Jay the official keyboard player? Jay Oliver was the keyboard player in PM as well. He was the unofficial keyboard player. He would do some of the studio stuff, but then when we played live, we would actually not have a keyboard player or and we we would use a, a the QX1 computer thing with a bunch of with like uh, keyboard parts. That we yeah. Played. Oh, that's funny. So I you know I would wear headphones and play with the QX1 and the click. It was actually really good for your time because you playing live with a click is back then it was first coming on right. Like people were just starting to do that, and it was like oh you you know it was yeah. it was really good. That's, that's great. And so, so I knew part of that story. So it's your relationship with Jimmy began with you doing this record. And that was sometime in 1989. And then he invited you to come on tour that summer. And then it just was Ralph, was Ralph McDonald playing percussion at that time in the band? Or did he come after you? He came after like a two, like three or four or five years later, then there was always kind of this, it might have been even more than that, but there were always the percussion chair was kind of a <clears throat> revolving door of different people until and then I think Ralph said he wanted to do it and he had played for Jimmy years ago on some records and stuff. So then he I think Ralph said, I want to do it, and Jimmy got him, and then it became Ralph till he passed. Yeah. That I, I I wasn't sure when he came in. I just remember he was there. Uh, I wasn't sure if he was there when I first met you in 89, but I remember, yeah, a few years later. 
And I maybe you had told me, I remember going to a show and meeting him for the first time and going, holy shit, Ralph McDonald playing percussion. Like, you know, and for people that don't know who Ralph is, was, he was an absolute legendary percussionist, songwriter, um, you know, did all those Roberta Flack, um, you know, wrote a bunch of her hit songs or co-wrote them and worked with, you know, Steve Gadd and stuff and you know, it's just such a part of that a fabric in that scene. And so it must've been a blast playing with him. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. At first it was kind of intimidating because I was, you know, I grew up listening to stuff and Steve Gadd and I was like, Oh my God, you know, he's going to hate me, you know, cause I'm not <laughs> Steve Gadd. You know? <laughs> he, he was, he was such a nice guy. He was such a chill, chill guy. I mean, yeah, but then it was like, I was like, yeah, it's okay, you know, we'll get along. <laughs> but he must have been—he must have been really easy to work with. I mean, just in terms of just how great a player he was, that he could just fall into a groove. I got to think pretty, pretty instantly with you guys working together. Yeah, it's it's you know, Jimmy had a really good band. I mean, way better than. You know, I mean, everybody in there is like a world-class player, you know, and it's like, like you play anything. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, it was very a, easy. absolutely a world-class band. I mean, you, you, you would go, I mean, you know, you would go there because it's Jimmy Buffett and you want to hear all those great songs and then you get blown away by this incredible band. I and mean, kudos to him for, for, putting together such a great band and, you know, hiring great musicians. So, so we're going to talk about, we'll talk about um, the new record, which drops this Friday, right? I guess, right. The, the new uh, November 3rd. Um, yeah, I think so. Equal strain, equal strain on all parts. And uh, I didn't know that, Roger, when I reached out to you. I, I just, you had sent me the, the clip on uh, My Gummies Just Kicked In. And then I realized the record actually comes out this Friday. So the timing is really, really, you know, fortuitous on this. So it's almost like we're a marketing department. It's almost like that. Yeah. So, so if anybody hasn't seen the, I'm going to, I'm going to put the, um, in the link here, I'm going to put the video to My Gummies Just Kicked In the YouTube video. It's fantastic. And it's the making behind the scenes of that song. Um, my, my big question is, were you and Paul tracking live at the same time? Did you guys play together? No, I wish, but we, Jim actually played the, the original part in the studio when you see that. And then Paul, Jimmy got Paul to do it and Paul wanted to do it, but they did that in LA and he's, he's on did Paul playing bass on the track, but, but he, he didn't do it when I was there. I just I get the thrill of that. He played with me at some point. That, Hey, that works, man. That's, that's okay. No, I, I wondered that, it, you know, and they do a great job of, of, um, I mean, it, it feels like he's, you guys are all together in the studio at the same time playing. Yeah, they made it look really that, that way, which is cool. Yeah. But that, but that makes sense, Roger. I mean, that's kind of how things are now. And, and I think people understand that, you know, and he's Paul McCartney. So he, he, you know, 
<laughs> who knows what he was doing, but um, it's it's a great song, and it's so great to see him and Jimmy and just the fun you guys were having. And and, and you sound great on the song, by the way, as usual. Well, you know the best, the cool part is that Pete and I and Tina actually wrote the song with Jimmy. That's great. Yeah, so then I, that makes it more fun for me. Like, well, I wrote a song that Paul McCartney played bass on. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty great. That's pretty great to be able to say that. When you um when you contribute to writing, like whether it's with Jimmy or are you are you contributing like lyrics and melody or or both or some part of the lyrics, some part of the melody or. The it's, it's both it's i mean i write both so yeah yeah in that case all jimmy had was the title and he wanted it to be a certain kind of feel like the 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 way the tempo is or whatever right so he 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 kind of went and like this is what i want and then you got there and we went off to the races and he he loved it the first you know And we had sketched out normally the way I write with where write with Jim would write with Jimmy is I would do a demo and I would sketch out lyrics that I would sing. And then um knowing that I'm just sort of building a little roadmap and that Jimmy's gonna change stuff or you know, so it was it's like getting it to a certain point and then he would go, Okay, well I like that, but I'm gonna work on the verse or whatever, you know. Yeah, yep. That's, that's great. That's a, that's a nice peek into the process there. I know, I know you had written a number of songs over the years with Jimmy, you know, contributed to, to, to records. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of funny up until a few years ago, I was the songwriter who had the most co-writes with Jimmy. No kidding. <laughs> I didn't know this. Somebody told me that. And then Mac, Mac and Allie surpassed me in a couple of years, but you know, it was, it was Okay. That's great, man. That's well, that's how you can afford to buy a building in, in uh, Nashville and have your son rent it from you. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's part of it. It's part of it. That's nice. That's a beautiful thing. No, I, you know, and, and I, I think that's a great lesson though, for people, you know, and, and all the time I've known you, that's, you're much more than a drummer, you know, and, and that's a, that's an, I think an important lesson for people that really want to make a career in music is that if you can contribute to the songwriting, if you can do more than play an instrument and be, you know, a bigger part of the process, um, obviously it's beneficial in many ways. And, and I was going to say, and I'm, I don't mean to keep talking here, but it, and it also, I have to think increases your value right to to jimmy and the organization as a songwriter you're you're not just a drummer you know you're you're an integral part of the whole process yeah i i think it's it, it's lucky for me and i i like doing it and it, probably one of the reasons i stayed or ended up playing with jimmy so long is that i was i got to be part of the you know i wasn't just the drummer <laughs> he let he encouraged if he liked your writing, he encouraged you to be part of the team, sort of, you know, yeah. whereas if you were playing like for the Eagles, 
you don't get to do that. Like they don't, they're like, you know, you're just a drummer. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't play with the Eagles, but I don't guess that they would let you participate in that. I think you, I think you're dead. But I think your point is, well, your the point about a person coming up in the business now is that you can't just be an, an instrumental. Well, you can, but I mean, why limit yourself by limited, you know, don't limit yourself if you can't avoid it because you never know when, what's going to happen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think you're right on with a band like the Eagles. I, I think it's a very safe assumption to say that you're hired to play, whether it's drums or keyboards or, you know, you're a side man, you, they, they're not going to invite you into the writing process. Um, you know, Mick Jagger, no. Keith Richards are the same way. You know, they're, they're the songwriters in that band. Yeah. And, and I get that. Everybody has their own, you know, way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy just always struck me as a, um, it doesn't surprise me that you said that Roger, that he uh, encouraged you to write, you know what I mean? He just seemed like a very inclusive person. I didn't know him personally. You introduced me to him a couple of times, just a handshake type thing. And, um, but you certainly got that vibe when you saw him, that he loved what he did, loved making people happy. Lo you know what I mean? Loved going out there and, you know, making the audience happy and, um, just had a lot of fun doing what he did. And, and, I think that's infectious, you know, when you see that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's Jimmy's, he was very smart to do that, have that kind of way of thinking because you get, you know, you get other people's talent or, or ideas that you wouldn't have thought of or maybe, I mean, all you're doing is making your end product better, you know, it's like you don't have yeah. to, you know what I mean? It's like, why yeah. limit your... And and you're absolutely right. He is, you know, what you saw was Jimmy. It wasn't fake or what, you know, if you don't like it, you don't like it or whatever. But I mean, he wasn't manufactured. Like he loved to go out there and be Jimmy Buffett and play. And that was him. You know, that persona was his part of him. And, you know, he didn't walk around like that all the time. But I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't fake or made up or anything. You know, that, that was him. Yeah, yeah. You could feel that. I mean, you really could. You could feel that, that he was, you know, I would always come away like that he was just so comfortable in his own skin um, that he could just come out there and, and he had such a, and he had you guys, he had such a great band that that had to be such a big part of his comfort zone that he could, you know, and he was great. He was great at personally at what he did, but he had, he could just kind of, he had this cushion to fall back on with you guys, you know what I mean? And he could just, just do whatever he wanted. I, I have to just mention, I, I think you might remember this. One of the times you introduced me, we were, it was at Great Woods, what used to be called Great Woods. And uh, you and I were standing in the back, outside in the backstage area. And you remember there were like these sliding glass doors that led into the dressing rooms. And we were standing talking and he just slid the door open and like put his head out and just went, Hey, what's going on out here? You know? And I just was sort of frozen and, and you introduced me and you said, Hey, Jimmy, this is John de Christopher with Zildjian. And he, you know, of course puts his hand and goes, hello, John de Christopher with Zildjian. 
you know, and, and shakes my hand. And then when you guys got on stage, <laughs> you got on yeah, stage. I, think I actually, you're describing I actually remember that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll never forget it because you, you got on stage and a few songs in, a few songs into the set, he, you were, he was introducing a song and I guess you started and he said, Roger hit that Zildjian symbol or whatever, you know, you know, through the audience. And I went, Holy shit, you know, but, um, no, I mean, I, he would, he would, he would just make you feel so good at a show, you know, it's so important. I think that's why it was popular. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, so I'm going to jump backwards a second. You, you continued to live, you live in Nashville now, but you stayed in St. Louis for a long time. And when, when Jimmy wasn't touring in the summer, PM continued to record and make records and, and that's Pete Mayer and his brother, Jim and you. And I remember you did a gig in Boston once. In fact, some, I don't know, sometime in the nineties, I feel like you guys did a show in Cambridge or something and Colin right. and came out to see you. Right, right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, and I just for everybody watching, if if you're not familiar, and I'm, I know the music is available through I'm sure through iTunes or Spotify or um, but it's it's a it's a great band. I mean it's a it's a really I mean in fact, you also did a gig once on a night off at this place on the water, like in Quincy, Massachusetts, one time during the summer. You invited me out to this, I, God, it was so long ago, Roger, but I, it was like a, a, the night before you guys were in Boston for a few days before the, the Buffett gig. And you were, you guys were playing somewhere like at this, I can't explain. It was almost like a Key West kind of place right on the water. Uh, in Bo <laughs> Yeah. I don't remember that, but that's not unbelievable. Yeah. I think I know where you're talking about. It was down. Yeah. Somebody had set up like a stage. Was that the one you were talking about? Or? Yeah, yeah. Or was that at a club? No, it was out. It was like outside. Um, it's it's become a big hot spot now. This this people watching might know what it is. It's this waterfront place in Quincy, Massachusetts, and um, but it was it was wild. I remember going there like on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night, and it was just packed with people. And yeah. It's like, wow, okay. Guy's got a following. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they were there to see us. They might have just been there to party. Maybe a little of both, but but it was always it was always I guess what I'm trying to say, it was always great to hear the band with Jimmy, but then as as you know, as the band as PM too. It was a yeah, yeah great band. Well I would always I would always tease you. I was like, you know, I can really play, you know. <laughs> I know you did. I know. And I knew you could, because there would always be a moment in the night where the band would just play. You guys would just stretch. Right. I mean, there, I, I felt like there was always a tune where, and you'd switch to, if you'd been playing match grip all night, you'd switch to traditional grip. And that's when I knew like, okay, some shit's going to go down now. All right. <laughs> he's, he, he's in Tony mode. Yeah. Right. I wish. <laughs> No, I, I knew you could play. <clears throat> you, you know that. I mean, it, that's one of those things that I think 
drummers, you can, you can tell that about somebody, even with just the slightest little thing that they do when, when someone's playing something that seems relatively simple. At least for me, I could always go, okay, well, this guy obviously has got a lot of things at his disposal that he's just choosing only to use a few of these things because that's what the gig calls for, you know? Uh, right. Yeah. You, you, you can tell like somebody is like, Oh, they, they're, you know, and also it's really not that easy to play simple, not the right stuff. You know I mean? Yeah. Exactly. You sort of have to get your head out of the drum drum world and into what does the song need? What's everybody else playing? You know, that kind of shit. Absolutely. No, that's, I, I think that's a huge lesson for any drummer is to, is to realize that, that to play that gig with Jimmy Buffett, to play and have it feel the way it felt great time, complimenting the rest of the band, complimenting Jimmy, giving Jimmy that foundation, um, grooving with the bass player, locking in. I mean, look at what Steve Gadd does with James Taylor. It's not, you know, I, he has moments where he gets to really play, but for the most part, he's just, he's grooving and he's just making it sound great. And that's, that's what the job is, you know? Yeah. And, and he's, he's totally happy doing it. Like, he's like, man, play, you know, let's groove, you know? That's right. Exactly. I mean, that's the beauty of somebody like Steve is that he's just is like, I'll, I'll play time all night. I don't care. You know, I don't need to, <laughs> I mean, the yeah. only people that like drum solos, drummers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. In fact, and especially I, cute, cute women do not like drum solos. Don't let them kid you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a, we have a rule in my band. In fact, that it's a, it's an, it's a drum solo free zone. Well, I figured from you. Yeah. You're, you're kind of, you like the, you want to play the groove, you know, that's or the song, you know? Yeah, I, that's that's kind of where I come from. But I, I mean, I, I can appreciate a good drum solo. Absolutely. But but it's not it's not something I can listen to all night for sure. I I like a nice, yeah. nice pocket. Nice. Well, I, I like a cool drum solo if it's got some music in it. If it's just a bunch of chops, it's it it's interesting for a few minutes. Like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. You know, and then it's like, OK, well. Because it, it's harder to make something into music, you know, where you're like, wow, that's like, you know, like a Tony Williams, early Tony solo is like, you're just sitting there going, wow, man, that's pretty, you know, that's incredible. He's 19 and it's so musical, you know, and it's it's like, you know, it's like a Picasso painting. It's abstract, but it's like he's taking all the history of jazz drumming and, you know, I mean, it's just. I mean, I'm raving about Tony, but that's those are my favorite drum solos. If I wanted to, you know, those the ones on Four and More, it's just they're just amazing. I'm like, I know what they are. They're little Alan Dawson exercises, basically. You know? <laughs> but yeah. he does it so it's got so much thing to it. You know, it's like this minimalistic thing. It's really awesome to me. I, I I know exactly what you mean. I was just the other day. There's this YouTube video that that it's been out there forever from the 70s of tony with stan getz and chick korea and stanley clark at montro um i'm trying to think of who else is in the band but it's it's a pretty famous video that's that and there's a there's a i saw it somewhere and there's a section tony takes about a minute 55 second or a, a minute long drum solo 
And it's just so perfect because it's, it's just, it never gets boring. It's never, it's never him repeating the same thing. It's just all these great little Tonyisms, you know, <laughs> all those little, you know, I mean, it's just like, yeah. And this, and the sound, you know, and we can go off on a Tony tangent all day, I know, but the sound he got from his drums too, I think for me was like such a, you know, a special part of it was, you know, the, the, the way the drums were tuned, the cymbals. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you know, he was badass. He was badass. Yeah, he was. But you're a badass too. So, so I read somewhere that, um, the Coral Reefer band may possibly go on. Is that, I mean, I don't know if that's even something you could talk about or comment on, but um, I think I read Mac might've said that, that it's possible. Yeah, it was, I saw that too. It was in billboard. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe that's where it was. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't know that. Wow. I mean, they we've been talking about it or I've, talk to mac about it and it, it it would be cool if we if we could do it and they you know make it work and stuff i mean i don't know how it would feel to do it when you're playing that stuff and jimmy's not there but i think there's an audience for it and the, you know it would be fun to do because the band would still be the same maybe and yeah you know so yeah it's a possibility i hope i hope it happens I mean, there is a there is a couple of gigs they're talking about that have already been kind of set up, but I don't beyond that. I don't know. There's like a tribute thing at the Hollywood Bowl in April. I don't know the date yet, but it's something like that. I think they're waiting to do that, and then they're gonna then everybody's gonna sort of regroup and see how that worked or whatever. Yeah, I would I would think there'd be no shortage of like guest artists that would want to come in and, and do little like guest appearances, you know, and, and, um, right. I think that's what this is going to be like us playing. And then there's going to probably be, you know, like Kenny Chesney and, you know, all these guys that were fans of Jimmy's or friends with Jimmy, you know, James might do it or, you know, who knows. He was, he was so beloved, man. I mean, it was, you know, you, you, you could see that, the sort of outreach by everybody, you know, just, it was beautiful to see the, uh, the spectrum of how many people just, you know, the, of, of famous musicians and just, of course, fans, uh, you know, needless to say, but, um, he was so, yeah, one time Dennis Chambers called me up and wanted tickets to the Buffett show. I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> oh my like, God. You would want to come to the Buffett show? He was like, yeah, man. Oh, that's so great. Oh, my God. Yeah, see? Yeah. I could see him digging the music and going and appreciating, you know, you know how the what the band brought to the music. That's cool. So so talking about the concerts and, the, and, and playing live, um, did you guys keep the same arrangements pretty much year after year, did you ever go back and redo some of the tunes? Like all you, Jimmy had so many hits and I know you probably had to play a certain number of them at each show to keep, you know, you want to, you want to give the fans what they want to hear, so to speak. 
Yeah, I mean, we we would keep the arrangements of some of them, but Jimmy would always be tweaking around like, you know, let's let's have a percussion solo before the start of this tune or let's let's stick this tune together with that one, you know. Or, and he, he would always do a lot of that or wanted to do a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. And stuff like tempos, did were there were there ever variations where he'd say, Let's let's play this one a little faster or let's play this one a little oh, slower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's yeah, we did that a number of times. Like let's let's change this to a reggae feel. That was a big we would always that was kind of a running joke. Like we would when he'd be like, What what can we do this? And we'd be like, We can make it into a reggae feel, you know. <laughs> Got to be like a standard joke kind of. But yeah, we would do lots of that. Like, you know, mostly, except for a tune like "Come Monday." But even that, he would sometimes do it like just with him and a couple of guitars and Ralph. Or then sometimes it was with the band, or you know, that kind of stuff. It was always trying to make the the show, you know, different from last year. You know. Yeah, yeah. Which is hard to do when you're, you know, you're playing. You've got to play the same. You, there's ten songs you. He felt like he had to play, and then he would. The you know there was probably twenty songs in a show or whatever, twenty four, and then you could put in some other stuff that was maybe new or something you wanted to do that you didn't do for a while or whatever. Yeah, that's I, that's what I thought. I thought I, I, having seen you guys so many times, I felt like he would. You know, he, which which I think is the right thing to do. Play those kind of staples that people, even though the big fans probably, I'm guessing like the 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 people that consider themselves the true parrotheads probably were like, no, I like the I don't like the hits. I like the, you know, the deep cuts, so to speak. But but you people want to hear Margaritaville and they want to hear a Cheeseburger in Paradise and Come Monday and you know all those songs. Yeah, and you know you'd be stupid not to play that, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. Jimmy was a very much like a, I'm here for the audience guy. Yeah. Like it was not like a, well, screw them. I'm going to do this. You know, it was like, whatever the audience wants, that's what I play, you know, that because yeah. they're that's paying cool. me to, you know, they're paying good money to see me and that's what we're going to play for them. You know? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I think, I think the best artists see it that way. You know what I mean? I, I, I won't name the ones that I, I remember seeing that would take that, like, exactly what you said, that tack of like, we're going to play what we like and not what the fans want to hear. And it's, it's kind of a drag when you, when you go to a show and you're like, wow, I, I, one of my favorite bands with a drummer who's a very good friend of mine um, would often do that. And I'd leave her going, shit, you guys didn't play one like sort of hit. <laughs> nope yeah i mean i i think that's a mistake from a business point of view in the long run because you know people are paying money to see you that you know and yeah it's it's usually for a reason right that's right exactly and a song like margaritaville you know you'd have twenty thousand people singing every word of the song like right there with them and you know what's better than that i mean that's that that's that's what you want. So are there any things you're working on right now, Roger? Any any projects that you might want to share with us, like personally or with Pete and PM or Yes. Um 
Well, actually, I'm doing a jazz, another jazz album. We just did the last session last week. So that's what I'm, I've been working on. And it's going to be called, it's like an instrumental jazz thing, you know. It's going to be called cinema because it's kind of like movie sounding, uh, cinematic. I don't know. Somebody said it sounds like cinematic jazz. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'm going to use that. I like it. Yeah. um, Pete played on it. And then um, you probably don't know the other people. Tommy Kennedy played bass. Uh, He he plays with Dave all the time. Yeah. But he's another one of my old cohorts from St. Louis. We all grew up together. Um, and Pete and I wrote all the songs and they're, it's, I'm really, it's going to be really, really good. Wow. Yeah. I'm thinking of only, not only, but I mean, not doing a CD release and just do vinyl and then the, the streaming download, you know, digital, but not because people don't really buy CDs. They either want, they just use the, the, you know, the streaming part or they, the vinyl thing is kind of has right. a life of its own coming back. I think, I think that's a great idea. I think you're absolutely right that, that it's either like you say, old school, like, you know, superior vinyl sound or digital downloads. Right. Yeah. yeah. And also in a case like the music like this is, it's very, the sonic of it, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of room to hear, like, especially it's got a lot of symbol stuff on it. I'll have to send it to Zildjian. Yeah. Yeah, you should. You absolutely should. Hopefully they're watching this right now. <laughs> um, Listen, guys, these are your symbols. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Tom Kennedy because I made a note to mention Tom. I got to know Tom a little bit through, um, I guess, mainly through Dave from seeing him touring with Dave Weckl's band. But I knew you guys were all friends from St. Louis. And uh, what a what a monster bass player he is, man. Oh yeah, he's he's great. Sweetheart of a guy too, and yeah. Um, but I, but I, I, you know, I, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning about it was just funny that, well, not funny, but but I remember Dave Weckel calling. He, I think he probably called Colin at the time because I didn't know Dave well at that, and when I had just started at Zildjian that summer, but but um, you know, he recommended his friend from St. Louis, Roger Guth, Jimmy Buffett, and. uh but I, I, I feel like you and I hit it off pretty instantly. And I, I just remember like you were, and, and I, I, I love Dave, you know, I've had Dave on the show a couple of times, um, but you're so different. You know what I mean? Like you, you are just like this, you're like a guy I, I grew up with from my neighborhood when I met you, you know, we're just goofing around about shit. And oh, well, I, I always loved you, Johnny. Back at you, buddy. And, and Dave, Dave and I got there eventually, you know, but, but um, I hope he's not watching now. He, he might take that the wrong way, but no, but, but, you know, he was maybe a little more serious and, and that's I just, okay. I actually just had coffee with him last week. He was in town and he called me up and I haven't seen him for a long time. And he was like, come on, let's have coffee, man. That's great. That's great. Yeah. That's I, cool. I hung out with him last year at PASIC just about a year ago. He was at, in India at the percussive arts, uh, you know, convention. And yeah, we hung out one night in the bar and, and then had breakfast like the next morning. And, and uh, yeah, he's, it's, it's great to, to be reconnected with Dave, you know, after all these years of knowing him and, you know, 
and his playing is just continues to get better and better and better. Of course, you know, yeah. he's not going to get worse. <laughs> no, <laughs> me on the other hand. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, I have a question. Uh, a friend of mine, Mike Rogello, drummer, local drummer here in Boston, asked if Ralph McDonald got a writing credit for Margaritaville. That was probably written. No, that was he wasn't. Jimmy wrote that by either by himself or with somebody else. It wasn't Ralph. Yeah, way before Ralph was in the band, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah okay. But he did get a writing credit for um, one of Roberta Flack's big, big hits, um, Where Is the Love, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the yeah. co-writer. Yeah. Boy. Just the two of us, I think Just, he was the co-writer. Yeah. Because he, he always used to brag about the check he would get. I'd be like, God, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Every time I would see him when I'd come, you know, I'd come to the gig and we'd, I'd see you before the show up, you know, behind your drums and Ralph would be up there. And, and I remember, you know, when I got to know him, you know, and I, and I knew who he, what his history was. And I thought, no wonder this guy's smiling all the time. He's, he's touring with Jimmy Buffett all summer on a great gig, probably getting paid serious. And then he's got all that mailbox money waiting when he gets home. <laughs> There's these big ass checks waiting for him. Oh yeah. Yeah. God bless him, man. God rest his soul. He was, he was a sweetheart. He was a sweetheart. Yeah. So, so Roger, back to your record. Um, when do you think that will be out? When can we look for that? Uh, probably February. And then we have to, we have to mix it and do some overdubbing and stuff. And, Pete does this Christmas tour, so that's kind of getting in the way of my record, but I can't really fault him for that. <laughs> Will you be playing drums with Pete on the Christmas tour? No, I did it once, and uh, I don't really like Christmas music that much. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I told Pete, I'm like, dude, I love you, man, but you know, I just can't play a little drummer boy, and I just don't want to do it. <laughs> Uh, you guys go back a long way, so he's he's got to understand and respect that. He's, yeah, you know, and he actually uses an old friend of mine, a student, was a student of mine years ago, a good drummer named Miles Vandeveer. So, and Miles plays great, and, you know. Great. It's all good. That's great. Although That's now great. I want, might want the gig back since I don't have a gig. I'm like, yeah, you know, now he's not going to get rid of Miles. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Um, hey, I made a note also, I want to ask you, just talking about, I'm going to jump backwards to the video, to the, um, my gummies kicked in video, just kicked in video. Are you playing a Craviato snare in that? Yes. That, that's, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the actual, like, drum that you used on the track. I mean, what we're hearing on the song is that drum. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. I, I, for some reason, DW lets me get away with the craviato thing which is okay i guess they don't really care anyway right like who am i because <laughs> no, i told you know, i told garrison i was and they well i think they they're buddies with the craviato company because i had a i have a craviato snare drum that johnny craviato made before he died when he was first working with dw i think yes that's right they, they collaborated and i think john good and johnny we're very close and, and uh, yeah. And I think all that stuff is, you know, 
using a different snare drum, I think is, is, you know, acceptable these days, different from the drums that you endorse, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, they, I heard them and I heard it and they were like, you want one of these? And I'm like, absolutely. You know? So I just, I have a few of them and I started using it on the tour and it was just, I was like, Oh, I love this, you know? And the DW snare drum is great. It's just the, the Craviatos are really good. Yeah. So that's, is that a newer one, Roger? Is it one you got since Steve? It's it's a, like, I don't know, probably 10 years old or something. Okay. Yeah. So it was before Steve Maxwell took it over. Cause now I think they're making Craviato in Nashville. Yeah, they are. I think they moved to their, I've never been over there, but I think they moved their production thing over here. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of the a lot of the guys that do the real country acts have Craviato sets, you know. It's a big, yeah, beautiful drums, absolutely beautiful drums. I mean, like a serious. Yeah, I would piece. like to have a little Craviato jazz set. That would, that would be fun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Be, be a nice little kit to have for jazz. And and yeah. I wanted to ask you too, just a, the record, did you record your record in your home studio or did you record it at a studio in Nashville? Is it? Yeah, it's just a couple studios here, Sony Tree and Omni. Um, my, I have a little soundproof drum room in the garage, but it's not big enough to have other musicians in it, you know. Got it. Yep. I just, I just know so many people are making great records at home now, you know, in home studios, but it's, but there's so many, you know, you're in Nashville. So. Oh my God, there's a ton of them. I don't really like, I like to play with the other people. I don't like overdubbing, you know, like everybody send me their parts. I don't really like that. Especially for this kind of music. If you were doing a pop tune, that's that's different, but where you kind of want more of a, a give and take interaction, you know, it's, it's hard to do when I think, you know, when you're not playing together. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I had Joe Vitale on with me last week and we, in fact, we were talking about Southern cross, the original version, CSN version. And we mentioned you playing it with Jimmy all those years <laughs> playing eighth notes. And, uh, but he was, he was commenting on, you know, as he referred to it, build a record, which is becoming, you know, so common these days as you're talking about. And, and it's certainly a, a way to do it, but he said the same thing. It's just, there's nothing like everybody being in the room at the same time and, and, you know, feeling the sort of vibe of everybody and playing off each other. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm old school that way. I think there's something to that, you know, I mean, because otherwise it just sounds so perfect and manufactured. It's like, well, okay. You know, it's like you're listening to all the electronic music. It's like you don't really listen to that music going, well, what's the drummer doing? Or, you know, how's it feeling? Because it's it's the vibe is totally different. You know, you're there to dance with the pretty woman or whatever you're doing or, you know, take ecstasy or whatever you want to do. <laughs> But, you know, if you're listening to a Crosby, Stills, and Nash thing, you want it, they, you know, the actual musicians played it. So it, it's got a different, you know. Yeah. 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 No, I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't record like that, you know, but I, uh, the idea of, of 
just providing tracks. And again, I, I know it's an accepted practice and it's how a lot of people do it now and, and make a living, but it just, it seems so sterilized, you know, so kind of, um, yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. I think we've, we've lost something in that, but you know, I don't, the business has changed and people, yeah, it's cheaper. You know, you can just hire the drummer and he plays the track. You don't eat up the studio time. You know, I mean, it's, that's just the way people do it. Yeah. Yeah. True. Well, you know, I, we, we can wrap things up. I didn't know if there was anything more you wanted to cover just to, to talk about that you're doing. We talked about your record. We talked about 34 years with Jimmy Buffett and, uh, and, and the, the great times that you had. And when are we going to get together? That's why I, I, I'd love to hang with you again, Johnny. I know me too. Me too. I, I don't know when I'm going to be down in Nashville anytime, but if I, that would, you know, or if you find your, if you find yourself up this way, I don't know if you'd be up in the Boston area anytime, but. I hope so. Hopefully uh, if it's Coral Reefer band things, we would probably play in Boston. I love Boston. Well, I would love to see you. I would love to, to get together. And I know it's been too long and we, we had many great hangs back in the day. And I, and I, I thought about this too. I, I think you'll remember this. We went, cause you'd come to Boston and because you played with Jimmy Buffett, you'd spend a week at the four seasons to play one show and, <laughs> and you'd have lots of like all the, all the high budget tours that would come through town. And uh, I remember us going to dinner at this really great restaurant. Kelly remembered it, Via Mata, which was kind of behind the Four Seasons. Oh, yeah. I love that place. Remember that place? Because I think you knew yeah. it when, when I said we're going to go to this place. You're like, oh, I love that place. And we went back to the Four Seasons afterward to sit in the bar. And the Stones were in town at the time. And Charlie Watts was in the bar and came over to the table and said hello and and. His his tech at the time, I think, was with us. But this would have been 20, this would have been 20 plus years ago. And, and anyway, he, he came over, he, he was he was having a coffee or something. Uh, Charlie had stopped drinking a long time ago and came over and said hello. And I, I'm sure I introduced you to him. And uh, we were feeling pretty good, you and me. And he the next day I spoke with him on the phone and he, he said something like, you know, did you have fun last night? Did you get home okay? Kind of like, you know, you know, kind of giving me a little, <laughs> I think, I thought like, did I make a complete fool of myself? Probably. I don't know. Uh, I wish I could have gotten to know him better. He seemed like a really nice guy. You knew him pretty well, right? J- I did. Yeah, I did. I He, he was a, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful, great human. Yeah. Yeah, I love this. St- I I just heard one story when that they always just Jimmy's tour manager would tell me that that um, Mick called him one night up at like they were you know it was late in a hotel room. It was like come down you know called him oh. up on the phone or something, and supposedly Charlie came down to the bar in his robe, punched Mick, and went back up his room. I've heard the story. I never asked Charlie if it's true, but. I've heard, yeah, I've heard a, like a variation of that. He called Charlie and said, like, where's yeah. my drummer? Right. And, like they're yeah. partying and he's asleep. And then he comes down and is like, don't ever call me again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
never piss off a drummer. That's the more all you folks watching at home that aren't drummers never piss off a drummer. It's not a good uh, idea. Not a good idea. I got to tell you before we sign off, a, a Dave McGee says he's a big fan. He said, I met Eric Darkin a couple of years ago after a great Mac show. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, Eric's the current percussionist, so he, and Eric's a great percussionist. Oh, cool. Well, thanks, Dave. Thanks so much, John. It's great to see you. You too, Roger. My pleasure, buddy. Hang with me, if you would, for one second, and I'll end the stream, and we'll say goodbye. But thank you for being here today against your will. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of talking about myself, but it's, a, it's okay. I love you. I love you too, buddy. And and our I think our connections seemed to get better as we went along. So it this did, is great. Yeah. It, it was a little weird, but thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being patient, everybody. Big hand for Roger Guth, my dear friend, almost 35 years. Great drummer. Hang tight, Roger. All right, well, that's my show. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, give it a like. Leave me a comment. Don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. And the podcast is available on all the podcast platforms, so download it. And remember, no drummers are ever harmed on Live From My Drum Room or Track Talk. And drummers, when in doubt, leave it out. All right. Again, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you again real soon. See you.